You are listening to the SHL Talent Talks podcast, featuring conversations with experts on talent topics that help organizations win in today's dynamic business environment. Hi, my name is Michelle Keefe. I'm with SHL. I'm a business development manager here in the D.C. area, and it's my privilege to introduce you today to Todd Brody. I had the chance to work with Todd for, I guess, about five years now. I think we figured out the other day. And uh, Todd and I worked together back when I was at Sherm, and he's just a wonderful resource of information. And we thought it'd be a great opportunity to have him talk today about remote work. Obviously, a very timely topic, given that all of us are, are now working remotely, or most of us are. Uh, given the the COVID-19 crisis. So let me turn it over to you, Todd, just to introduce yourself and give us a little bit more about your background, if you would. Sure. Thanks, Michelle. I appreciate it. And it's great chatting with you today on, on the podcast for SHL. You know, my background and experience really includes helping organizations be successful from a number of different talent management initiatives, including how to structure a workforce and really thinking about kind of all the components and pieces that go into it from the workflow, the work structure, how we actually do we work in person and both remotely. And that's why I was so excited to, to join you today to talk a little bit more about kind of remote workers and how we actually look at remote workers from maybe a few different perspectives. I look forward to chatting with you too, Todd. So wonderful. So obviously, it's a very interesting time, right, that we're in now, and, and a lot of people were certainly thrust into remote work that maybe we're not typically doing that. So if we think about kind of this landscape in which we're in now, if we think about the organizational need, both obviously short-term in this crisis situation and then long-term, what are some of the differences maybe you're seeing and hearing with your clients or other professionals you're speaking with? Yeah, I, I think it's really important, Michelle, that you bring up a kind of an interesting piece around remote working, because I think we do have to look at this from from two different perspectives. We have to work, look at kind of long-term remote worker needs. And I think that's kind of a, a separate look from kind of what we're currently experiencing right now, kind of with this COVID-19 pandemic that, that's happening kind of all around us where people were kind of thrust into this, you know, world of remote work. So if I kind of take a little bit of a step back, you know, I think it's probably important to talk about it from both of those perspectives. If we think about kind of this longer-term perspective and kind of understand if remote working works in, in an organization, I think we have to, first of all, look to the organizational strategy for that direction to say, does remote working make sense? And a part of that, I think, also has to be we have to challenge our thinking and maybe shift some of the paradigms of our thinking that we may not be able to deliver services remotely. And oftentimes, that's kind of the biggest challenge and biggest hangup for organizations to say, we've never done this before. We don't know about it. We're kind of scared of it. We think we might lose control. So that's where we kind of have to challenge ourselves. Now, one of the things that we're experiencing right now during this pandemic is the fact that we are delivering services remotely. And maybe we have to kind of shift that thinking, that paradigm shift thinking to say, how could we improve remote service delivery versus trying to figure out how to go back to the way we've always done things? Really looking at that traditional perspective, you know, thinking about, say, needing to see a doctor really required you to travel. But, you know, during this pandemic, we're seeing more telehealth or virtual doctor's visits being the preferred option by both the healthcare practitioner and, and you know, maybe ourselves as well. It's, it's really interesting because, you know, today, a little bit earlier today before, you know, we came together for this podcast, 
I actually did my first virtual person personal training session. So because I can't go to the gym because we're under stay at home <laughs> orders, you know, my trainer and I decided we were going to do something differently. So I had a few weights around my house. I had some exercise bands. I have an exercise ball. So we FaceTimed our training session. And, you know, as we look at that, we kind of say to ourselves, well, how could that possibly have happened, you know, a year ago, two years ago, or even maybe three or four weeks ago. But you know what? It was actually a pretty good training program. I was sweating profusely like I normally do. So, you know, I, I don't want to say that this is an absolute trend that we have to see or move to from a remote working environment. However, you know, it does, I, I really think, demonstrate that we do have the way to think about how we can deliver our products and services in a more creative, efficient and way, uh, you know, uh, effective way, either remotely or not. I also think that, you know, as we look at this, many organizations have currently moved to remote working, again, due to, to COVID-19, many probably with some trepidation, perhaps wondering things like how their company culture might change or if they're going to see performance or productivity slip or, you know, maybe even questions like will employees be disengaged or if I'm a manager of people or a leader of the organization, what can I do to help them stay focused or even will any work get done? And I think these are still valid questions and concerns that managers and leaders have to think about. As we think about kind of remote working again more broadly, and you know, as we're talking today, I might go back and forth between kind of this current pandemic and the situation we find ourselves in versus remote work. I think as we look at the answers to, to some of these questions, either currently or kind of more long-term, from a cultural perspective, you know, we have to keep a positive mindset and ask how we can make this work remotely versus the laundry list of reasons why it's not going to work and how remote working actually might fit into the culture more so. And I think it's also important to acknowledge that even now or long term for remote workers, we may also make some mistakes along the way, and that's absolutely okay. Those are lots of, lots of great things to consider there, Todd. And I think at the end, you know, the one thing that a lot of organizations struggle with sometimes, right, is that idea that it's okay to make mistakes. And you're right, yeah. this is a very uncertain time. And it's certainly a time that's constantly evolving. You know, to your point, short-term, long-term are going to look very different. But yeah. our new normal in that long-term could be totally different than anyone thought as well. Yeah, I, I'm not sure, you know, that we're also recognizing that, when this pandemic is over, be it in two weeks, four weeks, two months, whatever it is, we may not come back to the same normal that we had before. And we might Absolutely. have to create a new normal, which might include this concept of remote working in a slightly different way. I think you're right on the money. I think it'll be very interesting to see, again, who knows how long it's going to be until that time, but it'll be really interesting to see kind of where we arrive and where we land when we get there. I, it was also funny, too, when you were mentioning your training session, I thought of my parents. They uh, had a telehealth doctor appointment the other day, and I just, I was kind of chuckling to myself because, you know, the whole concept of them having to log on and talk to a doctor, it was this whole, you know, interesting learning experience, shall we say. So it's, yes. it's certainly challenging all of us to, to learn and grow. It is, it is, absolutely. So, so if we think about these remote workers, right, we're talking about there might be some different types of remote workers, right? So maybe your more traditional remote worker, your typical person who's been doing so, um, versus this COVID-19 remote worker. And obviously, there are other challenges we know with schools being out, people are trying to homeschool, and, and all these other things that are going on. And so I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on what those differences might look like. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a great consideration and maybe a great call out as part of this, Michelle. So, you know, from my experience, 
I've been working remotely for close to 15 years. I either work from my home office and I have a dedicated home office, separate room, separate doors, separate equipment, all those kind of things, or I work on site with, with many of my clients. You know, if I, if I think about kind of that traditional remote worker, it's probably really different from what we're experiencing today. You know, I think for many working from, from home right now, it's probably important to note, you know, first of all, how quickly many companies had to act towards, um, you know, moving a significant portion, if not all of their employees working remotely. And as part of that, it may not be fully reflective of what a structured remote working environment is and how it can really help potentially an organization be successful from a productivity and efficiency and an effectiveness perspective. I also think right now for those that kind of were thrust into this remote working due to kind of this pandemic, you know, for many working from home, especially for those that this is new for, they weren't prepared. And, you know, that's, I think, an important call out and recognition to make. But not only were, were the employees not prepared, the organizations were also not prepared. You know, as we look at employees, just as you were kind of, I think, you know, mentioning or alluding to, they still have daily life responsibilities that make it difficult to have a proper work-life balance. You know, their kids are at home, their spouse or their partner or girlfriend or their boyfriend or their parents are, are probably all cooped up at home while the employee's probably trying to get a few basic pieces of work done just to kind of keep their heads above, wa above water. You know, when you really think about it, a true remote working experience is more than just bringing your laptop home and just responding to emails. But what we're probably seeing a lot of is this is the situation for many is that I'm just kind of doing those basic kind of fundamental things so that when this is over, I'm not overwhelmed with this big wave of work. And when we look at this, you know, even just kind of some of the, the basic setup pieces, you know, are, are not really in a home environment for most people to complete tasks other than kind of checking email or doing kind of really focused computer work. You know, when we take a look at some of this as well, even kind of the interactions that we're probably having with our coworkers right now, even though we might use, you know, some video conferencing tools, be it WebEx, be it Zoom, be it, you know, whatever tool or, or platform that you're using, you know, we're, we're also probably not understanding and putting some parameters in place about what that engagement looks like. You know, I have some colleagues and coworkers as, as they're still continuing to work remotely. And one of my colleagues is telling me about these video conferences that they are continuing to have daily with some check-ins. But some of the people that are checking in are kind of laying in their bed or, you know, in a, a very kind of casual environment. And that's, you know, that's not remote work environment. Well, we would all like to sit in our pajamas and fuzzy pink slippers. You know, it's just not kind of what we think about from a remote working environment, which might lead to some misbeliefs by the organization as to how much work is truly happening. So as part of that, I think that, you know, well, organizations, this is going to be a great data point for them, for them to understand, will remote working be successful or work in the organization? I don't think they should be fully assessing the success of remote working arrangements solely on what's happening due to COVID-19 right now. Again, I think it's a data point to be considered and included to either support a long-term approach, or perhaps they may find that it's not in the best interest of the organization to continue remote working. Absolutely, Todd. I think there's certainly lots of things to consider. And I think obviously as you're working at home with all this going on with COVID-19, those other distractions, 
you know, in another time may not be there, right? So there are a lot yep. of data points to consider and things to consider about everyone's situation. Yep. So I think you touched on a few things that sparked some thoughts in my mind. So if we think about the readiness, right? So that's one thing that we've been thinking about a lot here at SHL is the readiness of this workforce that is now thrust into working remotely. Um, in fact, we're actually launching an assessment this week called Remote Work Queue that looks at that, right? So it really gives people the ability to assess individually. And then from the manager perspective, someone's strengths and, and maybe some gaps, some areas to develop. So it's something we've been thinking about. But when we think about this readiness, what are you seeing potentially, you know, with your clients or just things that you've heard come up in conversations? Yeah, um, I think that's really important um, is we look at maybe more of a, a long-term solution. As, as I think we can all acknowledge, you know, what's happening today because of COVID-19 didn't allow for readiness. So when you look at more of a, a long-term focus, long-term remote working is there has to be such an important consideration to start off with first. And that's from an organization's perspective, are they truly ready to move to a remote working environment? And if so, you know, how are they going to put those get ready activities in place to make sure that this is going to be successful? It's just more than saying, again, bring your laptop home and respond to emails. You know, are they reviewing positions to make sure that the position is suited for a remote working environment? Have they understood and analyzed all aspects of that position and kind of all the handoffs of pieces of work or client interactions? Do we also have, you know, maybe different policy approaches in place in our organization to know what it means to be a remote worker? You know, as part of that, we also might look at things like communication protocols or even as we get a little bit more granular, you know, and we're working in, you know, different teams or with different groups, have we created group norms of how remote workers will engage and interact, especially if it's a complete team or to complete group of remote workers, or if it's kind of this blended approach of some people working in an office together, uh, you know, collectively and parts of the team working remotely. As part of that group norm, we also kind of have to, I think, consider what are some of the expectations expectations of interaction, expectations of availability, expectations of, you know, that laundry list continues. And we have to clearly articulate those from an organizational perspective. We also start to think about, you know, performance standards, because there's still, I think, this misconception or this misnomer about people not working well. And in fact, as we look at kind of many studies that continue to happen, we see that actually a remote worker has a propensity to be more productive and produce you know, greater outcomes for an organization if the right environment is created and they feel supported from their workplace. We also have to look at kind of things like ergonomic standards or engagement activities. How are we doing all those things to make sure that the remote worker is feeling included? And I think that's part of our readiness as an organization to say, what are we actually doing to help set this up for success? I think from a, an employee perspective, there's also a readiness element. You know, I think in the first few days of this pandemic, there were probably so many people going, woo, really, this is really great and really cool. I get to kick <laughs> back and relax and be at home and put my, you know, my fuzzy slippers on and kick back with the dog or cat or whatever I have at home. But I think reality kind of set in. And, you know, after that maybe initial honeymoon phase, kind of that culture shock sets in to say, I'm really isolated. 
you know, if I, if I have spouses and partners or children or dogs or cats or whatever, maybe they're becoming a little bit of an annoyance for me. If I don't have kind of that family distraction and my work was my social interaction and my social connection, I may be feeling isolated right now. So is this really the right environment for me? So I think honest conversations have to happen and we can't kind of, you know, skirt around some of these key components to say, you know, we don't believe, for example, as an employee, remote working is right for you, for your position, yes, but for you as a human that we see your need and desire to crave that social interaction, it may not be the best environment for you because you won't have that connectivity and connectedness in the same way as you do today. Absolutely, and I think we're seeing a lot of that, right, with people talking about, you know, things that they're struggling with, right? That is one of the things that we're hearing. I know for myself, like you, Todd, I've worked from home for a number of years. And so to me, it's normal, right? But I've got a lot of people that I have in my network that are just going, okay, we need to schedule time just to talk because I don't talk to anybody. And I'm like, well, why can't you talk to people at work, right? Because again, again, like you, I've adapted to different ways, but not everyone has done that. And I think certainly from the organizational perspective, you know, that mind shift really has to happen, right? And so if we think about one thing you mentioned around the engagement and kind of that trust factor, right, to knowing that work is getting done. One thing that I know, um, you know, really is, is probably something that um, is certainly not an isolated thing. I know I saw something recently about a manager who was not trusting that their employees were getting things done. So they set up a Zoom meeting for the entire day and basically had their employees work. And so that manager could watch their employees. And so I think, again, that's that readiness from the organization perspective, right? But it's also that trust between the employee and the manager. And so talk to me a little bit about that as far as, you know, how might we accomplish that mindset shift? um, And maybe what type of etiquette could we create those standards so that we can set expectations properly for the employee, but also make sure that the manager of the organization feel that they're getting, obviously, the work that they need done as well. You know, your story just so reminded me of a story of another colleague that I just had the chance to connect with uh, a few days ago. And she was telling me a story um, in her, you know, um, uh, smaller city uh, in Canada. She was telling me a story of, you know, a business owner and she was talking with the business owner and the business owner indicated that they were going to be shutting down during this COVID-19 situation. And when she inquired more, um, the, the business owner indicated that because they didn't trust their workers to work remotely, <laughs> they chose to shut the business down instead. And I thought, Wow. Um, I, I was just, when she told me that, I, I just had this visceral moment going, okay, we're going to choose to shut down an organization versus maybe giving a little bit of trust to our employees, many of whom have worked for this individual for a number of years. So as you look at that, I think, you know, trust is so important and so key and so critical to making sure that a remote working arrangement happens, either short-term or long-term. You know, as we look at some of that, I think that there really has to be a mindset shift needed both from the manager and the employee so that trust is being, you know, demonstrated and created by the manager. And from the employee perspective, they have to realize that remote working really isn't just a free-for-all. You know, as you look at, I think, a couple of things that need to be in place, I think one of the things that has to happen is that you have to maintain some of your workplace traditions. 
And this includes things like social interaction. So if you or the team has coffee together every afternoon or you order pizzas on Wednesdays, still do that. You know, it does feel different or perhaps maybe a little bit strange at first. However, it's going to soon become the new norm. And that's what I was kind of referencing a little bit earlier, that some of these things right now, we have to create our new normal so that that can be the foundation for building trust between the employer and the employee. Now, I think it's also important to note that as we look at kind of what's social for everyone, it's going to be different in person. And we can't lose sight that for some of our remote workers, for example, if a, an employee normally doesn't participate, say, in Pizza Wednesdays, then I wouldn't force them to do that while working remotely. Because if it's something that we wouldn't do while they're in the office, why would we want to force them into an uncomfortable social situation? But let's do something for them or with them on an individualized basis, just like we would kind of in an in-person office setting. I think we always forget, you know, one key piece of information when it comes to building trust and really looking at, you know, some of these engagement components or pieces is that we have to really talk with our employees and really ask them what works best for them. We, I think right now we really have to acknowledge that everyone's stressed. They're asking themselves questions, will I get this virus, will I not, will my family be okay, will, my, will I have a job, will my spouse you know, have a job or my spouse just got furloughed and how are we going to pay the bills and kind of keep a roof over our head. As part of that trust building component or piece, I think we also have to meet employees where they're at emotionally. You know, if you think back to college or university, many of us studied, you know, Maslow's theory of hierarchy. And I think that, you know, at this really unique time with COVID-19, the stressors that are present for most employees are kind of at that foundational level of Maslow. And we may not be able to expect much more from them until they know those basic needs can be met. So that's really why we have to talk openly with our employees on a regular basis so that we know how best to support them. And that in turn builds that bond of trust. You know, as I think about some other etiquette components and pieces as well, I think all too often in today's day and age, we rely a lot on electronic means of communication. And for a remote worker, sometimes this can be detrimental if that's all they're getting is emails and text with you know, no human contact. If you really think about how many of us are feeling right now having to stay at home, we're feeling trapped and we just want to get out of the house and you know, we're, we're kind of having this anxious, oh my God, what do I have to do now or what can I do now just to have some human contact? Now, imagine if you had no social interaction all day long and all you had were emails and texts and no phone calls or no chats with coworkers or colleagues or friends. And that's what, you know, many remote workers experience and all they really have to talk to are maybe our plants or our animals. And that social, that isolation impacts, um, you know, mental health, I think, to a great degree. I think additionally, I think additionally, yeah, as we know, we also can't read emotion or intent in electronic communications. And while we can say we can assume positive intent, especially right now, that becomes harder and harder to do. We're all on edge with many stressors of work and life. And, you know, we may not always be assuming positive intent. You know, if I, if I think about this, there's a saying that we judge others by actions and ourselves by intent. Unfortunately, many of us write electronic communications in the same fashion as if we're communicating face-to-face. However, without emotional context, many misunderstandings occur. 
But as I really, really think about this, I think the most important component is trust. And we really have to put ourselves out there to say, we're going to trust people. That's paramount in having a successful remote workforce. And as I referenced in you know, the, the brief story that I told you just a little bit earlier about the business shutting down, if we don't have trust, we don't have an organization, either by the organization's choice or by the employee's choice. You know, doing things like micromanaging and constantly checking in could create disruption and disconnection within the team. When you really think about it, or at least, you know, from my perspective and maybe from yours too, Michelle, people hate being micromanaged in person, but yet many managers feel this loss of control with a workforce, a remote workforce, so they wrongly believe that they have to be more visible to their employees to make sure that they're doing all this, this work that, you know, is, is important work, but do they really have to, you know, take that micromanaging approach? You know, the approach of micromanaging not only creates distrust, but I think a lot of chaos and a loss of productivity. You know, when you, you mentioned your, your, um, your reference to the, the colleague or former coworker that was kind of, you know, Zoom meeting so that they could keep an eye on all of their employees, I'm also hearing a lot of that as well, that managers are mandating morning meetings under the guise of checking in. However, they're quickly turning it into more of an interrogation of work activities and what productivity or performance is being done, which is really changing that dynamic of the relationship. You know, as I think about this, really trust is a two-way street. And we have to trust our employees as a manager or leader in the organization, and they have to trust us. And don't get me wrong, uh, you know, if someone's not meeting performance standards as a remote worker, then that performance management conversation needs to occur. I think, you know, there's a saying out there, you know, one bad apple spoils the bunch. And taking that approach to remote workforce, I think, will prove to be detrimental, both from a long-term perspective and from a short-term perspective. You know, as I think about maybe a few other things that are going on in my mind as I'm kind of sharing this information, you know, that, that I think it's important to, to kind of acknowledge as well about remote workers during COVID-19. You know, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, this may not be a true test or demonstration of a remote workforce. If we think about it, performance standards in many cases are not being perhaps met to the same degree. And many employees are really doing the bare minimum because they're not able to do more maybe due to their personal circumstances, again, those spouses or kids or dogs or whatever, or maybe because their organization hasn't been fully able to support a remote working environment, or again, perhaps they may not be a good candidate for remote working. Yet we as an organization have really temporarily forced them into this situation. So I think it's something that we need to kind of take a step back and consider as part of our performance management conversations and our consideration around long-term remote working. Absolutely, Todd. And I think, you know, if we think about obviously, you know, performance still needs to be done, whether it's in the office or at home. And so certainly those conversations need to happen if, if that's not happening. But I think to your point about the micromanager, I think, you know, that is something we're definitely, definitely seeing. And, and it's really a shame because it was not that long ago that we had, you know, lots of open jobs and trouble filling them. And so people were concerned, right, about that trust and that open communication. Yeah. And it's interesting how things have kind of shifted, you know, very quickly here. So I think as we think about, too, that whole micromanagement piece, it kind of touches on, and you've touched on this a little bit already as far as the engagement, you know, things like if you're doing typically a once-a-week coffee hour, you can still do that. And I think those types of things are really key, right, to keep people engaged. But what other types of things 
might organizations or managers consider to keep their workforce engaged while they're remote? Because it is different. And to your point, some people may adapt to that better than others, right? You're, so you're what right. types of considerations might be there? Yeah, I think that's a that's a great question, Michelle. And and I oftentimes get asked this this question about engagement. And I want to kind of take a little bit of step back, maybe to talk a little bit about engagement more broadly, just for a moment or two here before we talk about it from a remote worker environment, because many organizations, engagement, I think, is often thought of as a static activity or what I refer to as kind of a one and done type of approach. And it really isn't. We have to think about engagement more so from all aspects of an employee life cycle. As we look at, you know, usually the first aspect, that's kind of that recruitment and selection. And are we doing things like being realistic in terms of the job and the environment and the culture? And are we making promises maybe that we're not able to keep? Do we have things like a strong employment brand, be it a formal brand or an informal brand, and maybe a strong employee value proposition that's keeping candidates engaged? Because when we look at the process used to attract and select employees, that's really where engagement or disengagement starts. So it's not at the point in time that they're an employee, which is a common misperception and you know, a misunderstanding of how we truly start to engage people. As we look at kind of other phases of the employee life cycle, you know, the next kind of major phase is kind of the onboarding. And again, I think we have to take a step back to determine if we're creating the right or best impressions for the now new employees. And are we delivering on kind of that employment branding and employee value proposition promise? Are we really walking the talk we gave in the interview and selection process? And are we working hard to make sure we're creating that accurate first impression during perhaps the first few days or first few weeks and really making this time count for the employee so that they can say, yes, I made the right choice in coming to the organization. And unfortunately, all too often in these first few stages of the employee life cycle, organizations don't do that. And then they kind of scratch their head and say, we have a retention problem, we have an engagement problem, but yet they don't take a step back to understand why they're continuing to do the same things over and over and over again and kind of see the same results. You know, as we look at even some of the basic things when people first come to an organization, are we introducing that new employee to others that they might have something in common with, either inside or outside of their department or team? Should we look at things like helping them find a mentor so that they can, you know, acculturate into the organization greatly? And are we doing things like encouraging socialization in the workplace? And again, the answer, unfortunately, to many of those things is no. I think when it comes to remote workers, they're really no different. We have to actually kind of look at this a little bit differently, though. We have to bring the office to them. And what does that really mean and what does that really look like? Do we encourage things like face-to-face meetings or interactions, either using technology tools or having those live in-person interactions? You know, if this is new for us, having remote workers, for example, or if it's new for them, we also have to acknowledge that we're going to make mistakes and learn from them. And I think an important mantra, either in this short-term period or in a longer-term period when it comes to remote workers, we have to think about this as progress, not perfection. It's not going to be pretty all the time. It's not going to be perfect all the time. But are we continuing to learn from this experience and say, what can we do differently to enhance this remote worker and their connection to the organization? You know, we also have to look at this from a manager's perspective. And is a manager really doing everything that they can to do things like set clear expectations and goals? 
again, very similar to that in-person connection with the employee, are we getting to know our remote employees? Are we looking at things like optimizing their individual skills and styles? Have we you know, defined those etiquette rules that I talked about a little bit earlier or various different protocols or expectations of all our team members? And are we explicit in terms of how those interactions and that etiquette is gonna happen? Be that communication or work itself or collaboration and how is all this gonna get done? I think as we look at kind of the last phase of the employee life cycle as well, which is oftentimes separation, we have this tendency to think that because someone is leaving, engagement is no longer important. And I think that's the furthest thing from the truth. If we continue to keep people engaged once they leave, then we have a hope of them potentially wanting to come back to the organization after they've gained outside experience. And why wouldn't we want people to get outside experience and bring that perspective back to our organization? So I think those are some, some basic things that we need to think about. But there's also, I think, one other important thing that we have to think about when we talk about engaging remote workers. And all too often with remote workers, we have this tendency to focus on what I'll call more the physical interactions of our remote workers, but we don't focus on kind of that mental health or that mental well-being. And I think that's an important call out to ensure that we take that mental well-being into mind. So when you think about kind of the engagement component, we have to look at it not just from actions and activities, but what are some of those emotional connection pieces that we also need to focus on to be able to engage our workers. As we think about a, a few key components that, that I, <clears throat> excuse me, have had the chance to be able to use with many of my virtual teams, I think it's important, again, that we get to know our teams on a more personalized basis, really understanding their personalities, their ways of working in the team. You know, do we have regular one-on-one -on -one meetings? And as part of those regular one-on-one -on -one meetings, are we talking about health and well-being? Are they taking care of themselves? Are they doing those, op those things to make sure that they're feeling well, they're feeling good? Are they taking breaks? But we, I think, can also go beyond that. It's also an opportunity when we have those one-on-one -on -one conversations with our employees to discuss things like the pressures that they're facing or the deadlines they're facing or workloads and really work together on a plan to help them work more effectively or see if we can disperse some of that work amongst the team. As I mentioned, you know, just a short while ago in our chat here, Michelle, that remote workers oftentimes feel isolated and they're hesitant to reach out to their colleagues and coworkers for help because they believe that they will be seen as doing less or being less or not capable of handling a workload. But when we do that in person and we encourage that in person, yet it seems to be fine. So there seems to be this disconnect in terms of, you know, remote workers versus non-remote workers asking for help. As we look at, you know, some other of the, you know, personal interactions or understandings, we really have to get to know what matters with our teams. Things like what motivates them, what are some of their personal triggers for stress, you know, are they able to manage their emotional needs and do they really feel secured and supported in their job, <clears throat> excuse me, and have that sense of belonging and inclusion that we want everyone in our organization, regardless if they work in an office or work remotely, to have. I think another important aspect of you know, uh, the, the, um, the engagement piece and kind of continuing on this theme of mental health is we also have to lead by example. 
And as part of that, are we promoting our own healthy work habits? Are we doing things ourselves as a manager or a leader to create time in our workday for things like exercise or meditation or breaks so that we can reduce that stress and burnout? Are we making sure that we're taking time away from the office to recharge, looking at things like vacation time or, or other important you know, things that we should be paying attention to, uh, attention to things like important holidays or you know, not working excessive hours or maybe even not emailing employees outside core business hours with the underlying belief that employees are thinking that they have to respond if it's you know, two or three or five o'clock in the morning because my manager or leader sent me an email. You know, as we look at this from an in-person perspective or in-office perspective, just like we do on a regular basis, we have to make sure that we review kind of the workloads and duties and responsibilities of the remote worker on a regular basis so that we make sure that we're not overwhelming them with information. You know, we also may need to look at something that's oftentimes referred to as presenteeism. Unfortunately, many times in organizations, and this might come back to that trust issue that I was talking about a little bit before, is that we view FaceTime or being present in an office as valuable. Doesn't matter what our performance or productivity or efficiency or effectiveness is, but just being there and having FaceTime is valued by many organizations. And when we think about that from a remote worker perspective, that actually causes them to spend more and more time at work and really blur this balance between work and life. Just like when someone in an office is under the weather, we send them home. But yet we think it's absolutely okay in many situations or cases to say, you work from home already, why don't you just work? So you can be sick at home, but we kind of still expect you to work. And I don't think that that's really a way to engage employees because then we have this us versus them mentality versus all of our employees, regardless if they're an in-office employee or remote employee, really working together. Really making sure that we set an expectation clearly to say, if you're ill, don't work, just like we do for an in-office setting. And if we have to contact that employee, it's more so we have to contact them because we want to just check in to see how they're feeling or doing, much like we would for an in-office worker. Now, as part of all this, and, you know, we also have to make sure that maybe the nature of our conversations change a little bit with our remote workers. Sometimes we have to you know, get a little bit deeper to be able to have what I'll call a sensitive support conversation so that you know, they know that they can reach out to us to talk about challenges or issues or personal problems. And how we develop that relationship may look a little bit different as well. And I think those are all things that we have to take a look at. You know, as we think about kind of all these things that I just discussed, you know, I talked about it maybe more so from a long-term perspective. But I also recognize that, you know, in this day during COVID-19, I think it's important for us to acknowledge that all these things that, that we talked about are really no different. There's the stressors that we have in place, the, the family at home or the health concerns or the confinement concerns, and we should really be engaging from a mental health perspective with all of our remote employees in, in today's day and age or in, in this period of time during this pandemic as well. Michelle, it was really great chatting with you today, and I really um, am thankful that we had this chance to, uh, to chat and to kind of share some thoughts and ideas, and I'm looking forward to chatting again one day soon.
Same here, Todd. It's always a pleasure to speak with you as well. And I think there's a lot of perspective that uh, needed to be shared. So thank you for taking your time today to join us. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for listening to the SHL Talent Talks podcast. To learn more about our work, helping organizations attract and select candidates and identify and grow leaders, please visit shl.com.